Hey everyone, Steve here, and I just want to give a quick shout out to Biz and the Geek, OH Malley, and Coach Nilsson for giving us reviews in iTunes. iTunes does their rankings based on an algorithm of downloads and reviews, so each review we get helps bump us up those podcast charts. If you like what you've heard and you've got a moment, please go to iTunes and leave us an honest review. We would appreciate it more than you know. We've got a link embedded in the summary of this MP3 to make it even easier to do so. And if you do, you'll probably get a shout out on a future episode. Thanks. There are a lot of professional Christian women out there that are very, very involved in their local church. And they don't feel included or utilized or acknowledged in any way for their specific gifts within the church. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, Sandra Crawford Williamson. Now, the first time we had Sandy on the show, we planned to talk about a post that she had written called She's There, Look Closer. But we were so enthralled with her story, we didn't want to cut it short, and we never ended up getting to it. So we invited her back on to talk about it. Here now is how my co-host John Ramstead and I got this conversation started. All right, Steve, today on Eternal Leadership, we welcome back Sandra Crawford-Williamson. Sandra, welcome back to the podcast. Ah, oh, thanks for having me, guys. We had so much fun with you. Your episode was so incredible, and we've just gotten incredible feedback already from your episode. Now, I'm saying that in advance, Sandra, because I know that that's what's going to happen, because it was so ah. amazing. Because we're recording this for a future date. Um, But one of the things that Sandra shared with us, Steve, that really made a big impact on both you and I is an article she wrote called She's There, Look Closer. Yeah, and the last episode, we, we featured her story, and it was so good that when time was up, we didn't have time to talk about this article, and I had... I had I don't, a half dozen questions that I had written out just about that one article because, Sandra, you had said that you when, when that was posted at Christianity Today, it was it, it received incredible response. Yeah, so I, it was written originally for the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics and got just tremendous, tre- tremendous response. And now Christianity Today is republishing it and it's been republished by multiple outlets, um, Christian and, and otherwise. And, you know, we didn't expect it, you know, and Diane Patterson and I, the founder of Ford, you know, we'd have these conversations and we would talk with women that would feel this way. And finally I just sat down and I, I just poured my heart out. This is really, it's as much my story as it is, you know, a lot of women's story. And, 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 you know, it was sort of a labor of love that, that got published. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, within six weeks of being published, it was if we's most trafficked article in their 10 year history and just crazy statistics that have kind of come out of the woodwork. So what would you say the core messages of this article and why do you think it resonated so deeply with everybody that read it, Sandra? Well, she's there. Look closer is really the story of the camouflage woman in church on Sunday mornings. And, um, what it's really about is the fact that there are a lot of professional Christian women out there that are very, very involved in their local church and they don't feel 
included or utilized or acknowledged in any way for their specific gifts within the church. Um, and so the idea of the camouflaged woman is that on Sunday morning, um, you know, we're there with, you know, either husband or friends or by ourselves or kids or no kids. But, you know, it's very hard for church staff and even the other women to tell who are the women that are in the workforce and that have their own set of challenges and who are the women that are, um, you know, have made a choice not to be in the workforce and they have their own set of challenges. And, um, you know, I was raised by a stay-at-home mom and my sister and sister-in-law and mother-in-law and best friends are all stay-at-home moms. And God love them. I couldn't do it. My joke is I'd be fired on day seven from that <laughs> job because, when my kids come at me with crafts and recipes, I, you know, try to <laughs> go, oh, let's go to the park. So um, it's not my personal giftedness. And so there's a lot of women out there whose gifts are in the workforce. And, you know, whether they choose to be married or, or to be a mother or not, um, these women are just as engaged in church as the women that have chosen, you know, to to use their gifts full time in the home, but the women, you know, so so the the sort of thing is, you know, I tried to get involved with my church, but the women's ministry events were all during the day, during the week. Uh, they were Wednesday morning at ten thirty, or there were retreats, weekend retreats. Well, I was away from my kids Monday through Friday during the day, so I didn't want to go on a retreat. I wanted to be with with my family on the weekends. And, um, you know, a lot of their their events revolved around areas of giftedness that weren't mine, you know, scrapbooking and, and things like that. And and so I started saying, well, hey, where are the other women in the workforce that go out into our workforce mission fields Monday through Friday? You know, my joke is um, I don't need shots to go into my mission field because I get up on Monday morning and go out into it every single, you know, every single work day. And, um, and so as I got older and, and was single, um, I really felt invisible in, in multiple churches as I lived all over the world. And, you know, um, I, I, I couldn't participate in a lot of the women's events. And when I would go to church on Sunday, uh, this, you know, I've got real stories of, you know, um, older women in the church either thinking, you know, I was a fixer-upper. Um, or thinking that they could fix me up. So, you know, I got asked on, on if I was interested on blind dates or, you know, they wanted to minister to me because I was, you know, 28 or 30 or 32 and single. Um, and, I, and I didn't feel, you know, welcomed by a lot of the younger women who are married. Um, you know, my, my joke that I, when I speak about this topic, I say, I don't, you know, I didn't want your husband and he, you know, I wasn't there looking for one. So, um, you know, and then I didn't know who the women were that that were in the workforce because there was no really group for us. So it was just very alone. So I, I never plugged into churches. You know, I, I say all the time between college groups and young marrieds, there's this no man's land for women where we don't really belong into any bucket. And churches, you know, they're just dealing with this, you know, huge population on a Sunday morning. And, and so the way they have effectively for decades dealt with that is by having 
um, the, the type of uh, programming that revolves around a life stage. Well, in you know, my years, I didn't get married till I was 36. So in my 12 years between college and married, I did not find one church in seven states that had a bucket of, you know, professional single women. And so, um, you know, there were some years where I sort of sat back on Sunday mornings and thought, well, I can go to church late and leave early so I don't try to get any blind dates or, you know, fixer-up talks. (laughs) And I did that. And then I went through a phase where I thought, you know what, I'm going to read my Bible by myself at home. And, um, and there were some, you know, some cities and some phases where I was not plugged into church at all because when I tried, it was, it was lonely and I didn't feel spoken to from the pulpit. And, you know, so, so we sort of say in the title of this article, look closer, she's there. Um, you know, it's, um, crazy because all the statistics from economic development, joint chiefs of staff committees, the White House research report, all of them tell us now that 47% of the American workforce is female, 47%. And so um, that's almost half. And so if you're looking at a church population, odds are might not be half in your particular community, but the way statistics work, it's directional that in, you know, any church, at least 35, 40 percent in America is going to have, um, you know, they're going to have that percent of working women. And so I just spoke from my heart in this article of how I've sort of felt throughout the years. But I'm, I also was taught from a very, you know, tough love dad when I was younger. Hey, don't don't bring up anything without a solution. And so in this article, I, I wrote and made four different suggestions of things that churches and church communities, church leadership could do to um, find and utilize these women as great, great stewards in their community. You know, you know Sandra, I know your background, you're, you're just an expert, not only consumer marketing, but you're a behavioralist. So uh, before we go into these four points... I'd love to talk a little bit more about these women that you're talking about. What what percentage of these women are, are you know are raising families? They have kids at home while they're working. Maybe they're single mothers. You know, what are some of the other unique challenges of this group that they're just dealing with in life in general? Yeah, it's crazy because if you look at the statistics, not only is you know forty seven percent of the workforce made up of women, but that is doubled in every age category since 1950. And um, if you look at, you know, how many women in America that are raising children, right? So women that have children in their home under the age of 18 that they're raising, 71% of those are working. And then that number goes up based on your education. So I personally happen to be in the bucket um, because of my uh, education level that 83, almost 84% of women with a postgraduate degree in America that are raising children are also in the workforce. Um, And a lot of people will say, oh, well, you know, that might be part-time or work from home or whatever. But the statistic is also paired with the fact that 75% of those women are working full-time. 
And so if you look at the number, you know, it's just, it's tremendous because it's sort of, people tend to think that, well, when I have kids, then, you know, more of us stay home. But in fact, it's the opposite. Um, as a family has multiple children, the the woman in the household actually is working and working more. And that's because, as you guys know, kids are expensive. And so, um, you know, the the statistics that talk about double income families uh, are just tremendous today. And it's really in a lot of places out of necessity, just, you know, costs of living and costs of education and, you know, trying to be good stewards and maintain our charitable giving and all that. So some of the numbers are, I mean, I could go on and on, as you know, on my statistics, but I try to just be fact-based. I mean, this is a personal um, testimony for me and my walk, but it's also one that I have been very, very um, extremely careful to stay rooted in facts and figures and statistics. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've got a lot of them. Sandra, are you finding that a lot of women in this category are just unplugging from, from church? Oh, goodness. So there's a, a book out and there's a number of Barna studies, you know, on women and millennials and different things. And if you take all those into consideration, they all say that, as many as 27% of professional Christian women are unplugging from church altogether. Well, that's significant. That's crazy. That's crazy. Because I tell people, you know, when this woman unplugs from church, you know, if she's married and if she has children, she's not just unplugging herself. She's unplugging perhaps, you know, her husband and her entire family. Because you've heard the saying, if mama's not happy, no one's happy, right? It's not just a saying, it's a fact. It's a fact. (laughs) (laughs) When mom gets up on Sunday morning and says, hey, let's just have group prayer time and read our Bibles together and, you know, do funny face pancake breakfast instead of going to church. Guess what? She gets a resounding, you know, standing ovation. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm deeply troubled. And Diane Pattison, my partner in Ford, you know, the founder of Ford, you know, she wrote a wonderful book, Work, Love, Pray, that also speaks to this, you know, professional Christian woman. We're deeply troubled because we believe in the local church. We're huge proponents of it. Um, we were both raised raised in them and are very dialed in today with our children. And we believe it's a it's critical, you know, in, in terms of a family upbringing. And so when we see statistics like this, we want to shout them from the rooftops because obviously we believe there are some some things that are not that difficult that can be done to reverse some of these trends. Well, I know you said you're solution-oriented, and knowing you, that is that is absolutely the fact. So I'd love for you to walk through some of the biggest reasons. I know you said there's four kind of primary reasons on why these women are unplugging, walking away, or not even feeling fulfilled if they're in that church environment, and what we can do about them, both as men and women in our churches, in leadership roles and business, and in how we can get involved and make this uh, an environment that just lifts everyone up. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I appreciate you asking. You know, it's, um, it's tremendous because 
if we can keep these people plugged into church um, in their family and their next generations, that's important. But what's just as critical is that if she stays plug in, plugged into the church, then her gifts are being used by the church. And, you know, the the church's role, I see, is being a good steward of, of its community and, and its gifts, not just financial. So, um, you know, one of the first reasons we hear, and this was based on, gosh, two years of, of, going out and doing anecdotal interviews, going to numerous, numerous forward events and saying, hey, how many of you are plugged into church? And we ask questions about why and why not. <coughs> and um, and then it's based on my, my personal story, you know, growing up in the church, going to college, and then, you know, 12 years of singleness, um, which is really rough in the church. Being a, a single 32-year-old woman trying to stay plugged into church is um, is not easy. You know, just out of curiosity, as you as yeah. you spoke to some of these women, is there a corollary also for you know single professional men that are in kind of that same bucket? Are, are they finding the same things, or is it, do you think a little more prevalent with the women in the workforce? Yeah, I think it's it's two answers to that. I think yes. I think the church probably has a challenge with men that are professional, you know, sort of the the more white collar businessmen in the church, not knowing exactly what to do with them. Um, you know, my my joke is. You know, I might be getting up arguing a case in front of the Supreme Court, not me personally, but this woman I'm speaking of. But yet I go to church and I'm asked to work in the nursery and, you know, make casseroles for people. And let's be clear, neither one of those are my gifts. Right. So put me on the steering committee, put me on the finance committee, the, you know, the building committee or um, the curriculum committee, something like that, that's going to use my gifts more. I think men feel a lot that same way. You know, people, um, the man equivalent of that is, Hey, I get asked to drive the golf cart and be a greeter. And, um, and the, the church doesn't really know what my gifts are and what I could, what I could be doing to support the church with my gifts. And so, yes, absolutely. I think it's the same thing for men. And I think single men, um, don't go to church at probably even higher rates than women. Mm. Um, you know, because women were, uh, as women have, the statistics show women are getting married later in life in these last few decades. And so we're sort of out there on our own a lot. And I think men, um, like to experience church with a group. Uh, and so I think the, the numbers, there, there aren't any, I've looked, um, but I think the numbers for, you know, single men that are leaving the church or not going, not staying plugged in are probably just as alarming. Yeah, that's my sense also. Uh, so let's get back to, so the women that you were meeting with, having these interviews with, and it led you to your, one of the first conclusions you, you, you drew from that. What, could you share that? Yeah, the first thing, you know, that we hear and that I personally experience, you know, the examples from the pulpit don't always pertain to me. Um, you know, if there are examples from the pulpit, you know, and, and in the 
<laughs> because it's not just what the pastor's saying, but it's also in, you know, the, the visuals that he's using or in the bulletin or on the website or in the language that's used. Um, you know, it's usually the, the examples about work are about men and the examples about home are about women. And, um, you know, again, this is anecdotal. It's not something I can go, you know, ask 10,000 pastors. Uh, I could, but I haven't. And, um, and so it goes back to psychology, right? So there's a, you should try, try this with your children or grandchildren out there. Um, if you have a uh, photo album and there's a photo album that doesn't have a particular child in it, and you give that child to look at uh, to, you know, the photo album to the child to look at uh, human nature. And I've seen it time and time again. If by like page three or four, the child doesn't see themselves in it, they'll close the photo album, put it down and walk away and be completely uninterested. The bottom line is as a human, we want to see ourselves painted into the picture. So the professional woman in the pew that's, you know, in the workforce, she wants to see herself in imagery and she wants to hear herself painted into the spiritual message that's being presented on Sunday morning. And so um, my first recommendation is specifically messages could include more examples of women doing things outside of the home and specifically in the workforce. Um, I've worked with numerous churches about just their, their graphic imagery that they're using, that it doesn't always include, you know, mom and dad and two kids and the dog and the white picket fence, that there's a lot of families out there that don't look like that. And there are a lot of women out there that, you know, come to church on Wednesday night straight from the office, you know, frazzled, still on a conference call, you know, in her, in her business suit. So, um, you know, let's let's paint those people into the picture. Let's put them into the photo album. Um, so that's my my first suggestion. So that's a powerful concept because you can be sitting there listening to a great message. There's good teaching, but if you can't see yourself in that picture that the pastor is painting, you're driving home just really not feeling connected to that, or it's not moving you forward in any meaningful way. Exactly. Exactly. It's common, you know, and, and so I, I use the example that teaching can become learning if someone is painted in the picture that, you know, I can hear numerous talks and numerous sermons and listen to them 24 seven on my headset, right? The ones that actually I internalize and I think as, as learning are the ones where I can picture myself in the story. And so that's, that's really about this first suggestion. I love that line, Sandra. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that and give you credit every time I use it. By the way, teaching Go becomes learning when you're painted into the picture. That is such a great concept for anybody that's working with people. Yeah, I mean the the statistic says that about forty percent of of human beings learn experientially, right? So I can hear it. I'm an oral learner. I can see it. I'm a visual learner, and then I'm an experiential learner. And those are the people that learn by doing and learn by like picturing themselves doing it. And so, you know, we leave 40% of the people completely out of the message, out of the learning opportunity, if we don't paint them into the picture. Well, I can't wait for this episode to go out because I'm going to forward this to a whole bunch of pastors I know because they're going to love to hear this. Now, what's the second point um, that you that you pulled out of all this? 
Yeah, and we touched on it a little bit, but the second point is really I am underutilized at church. I don't feel my spiritual gifts um, are being recognized uh, or, or understood or respected. Um, and so, you know, these women have lots of giftedness outside of traditional home skills. I mean, let's be clear, I still am running a house. I have three kids and, you know, a wonderful husband. Um and I can do a lot of things outside of that, as many people can. And so what we see time and again is that, you know, the that woman who has all this expertise Monday through Friday outside of the church, typically the church doesn't even know that. Um, they don't know what she does. They don't know how she spends her time. I can remember um being involved in a project and we had a woman inside our church who was a, you know, nationally acclaimed uh, lobbyist. And we were working on a project that involved, you know, city council and those types of things. And, you know, I was sort of like, Hey, don't we have somebody that does this for a living? And no one had a clue. Now that could have easily been a man. Um, and it could have easily been any area of expertise, whether it's financial planning or building or, um, technology. The point is, uh, the church knows, knows the people on Sunday, but because we wear this camouflage to church on Sunday, which is our Sunday best and our families, um, they don't really know what resources we could be bringing to the church. And so there's this major, major untapped resource inside a church. Um, and again, if someone doesn't feel useful, if they don't feel utilized, if they don't feel recognized and respected for these gifts, um, guess what? She's going to go use them elsewhere. And we see it time and time again of people going and, you know, volunteering here, doing this there, being involved over here. And um, it was simply because they had margin to give and the and the church wasn't taking advantage of that. And so the the second suggestion is find her, you know, find these women, figure out what their gifts are and use them for God's glory inside the church. Because not only will that make the church community more amazing by lighting up this woman and, became, you know, um, utilizing her, you know, I call it activate, right? So by activating this woman inside the church, not only do you keep her, but you get the, ma- you know, the major benefits of, of her glorious Ephesians 2.10 calling, uh, which is to, you know, to use all her gifts for God's glory. And so, um, you know, how do you do that? I mean, I tell people, I get asked by pastors a lot, okay, I'm totally with you, Sandra. That makes total sense. How do I do that? And that's, so, you know, that's just what I was going to act you. How, you know, the, the, the women in the congregation can go up to the pastor and say, here's my gifts. I'd love for you to use them. It doesn't right. always happen. But how, what I was going to ask you is, yeah, how does the pastor or, or the staff, and especially in some of these very large churches, reach out to the congregation and really look at what the amazing talent that's out there that they could be, you know, using, working with? Right. Um, so there are two things I recommend pastors they do. And, and the first is, you know, go find six of these women. I, I mean, just ask around, find them, find six. If you can't find six, start with four, but find four to six women that, you know, look like this, that kind of fit this description and, you know, spend about a month or two pouring into them and um, discipling them as you know people that have gifts outside of church and how do we activate them and then empower those women 
to multiply. And, you know, so by finding, you know, a few, then they know who they are. They know who the others are sometimes, but, but empower them to go find them. And some of the ways they do that, uh, a church can do this also is, you know, send, you're going to laugh, but I'm a big fan of survey monkey, right? Free surveys for research. Um, go send survey monkeys out and say, Hey, what, you know, what's your area of training? Cause by the way, this is, you know, another angle. There are tons of women that are choosing it this, you know, season in their life to stay at home, but who could be a trained financial analyst or lobbyist or attorney, you know, or, um, you know, wedding planner, whatever it might be, who have all these tremendous gifts. And so uh, when churches do this, they find all sorts of skills that have margin to give and um and and it's been tremendous you know people because again it's not just about using the gifts for the glory of the lord it is but it's also about making people feel useful if i feel dialed into my you know dialed into my church and i feel appreciated and i feel recognized then i'm going to be on fire for that church i'm going to tell everybody about it and i'm going to get all my friends there and i'm going to make sure that my kids and neighbors are involved um the opposite unfortunately is if I don't feel utilized and I sort of feel ignored or, you know, people don't have any clue what I can do. Um, again, it's that human nature, that behaviorist comes out in me and and it, it tells me very clearly time and time again, people will take their gifts elsewhere to be used. Um, I've seen it recently. A woman, you know, went to her church and said, Hey, you're putting on this retreat and, you know, here's what I do outside of work. And here's what I want to do for this retreat. And they said, Oh, that's great. But that sounds a little bit boastful. So do you think you could be in charge of the centerpieces? I mean, that's a real story that happened two weeks ago. And so churches don't, they don't want know what to do with these gifts. And so, um, you know, when, when someone feels ignored or that ouch, like you just described, guess what happens? These are, these are people, right, with feelings. They go elsewhere because we want to be recognized and we want to be appreciated. And so they'll take their gifts elsewhere. So, again, this is another another point of find, find a small group of them, you know, empower them to go find others and start, you know, sort of start this movement. Um, but somehow, whether it's through a survey or a checkoff list or whatever it might be, find out what all these gifts are that are inside your church and start lighting them up. Now, I will tell you another human behavior data point. Only 20% of people will respond to a need. So if the church stands up and says, hey, we've got a big you know, planning and zoning fight that we're going to have to go before the, the uh, city council and we need people to help us, right? Um, even if that lobbyist or that you know planning and zoning expert, whatever it might be, is in the audience, only 20% of them are going to stand up and raise their hand and say, I'm here, I will respond to that need. It's just a, some point of human behavior. The other 80% of us want to be asked. Um, and, you know, we, we need to feel included and appreciated. Now, you know, is that fair? No, but you know, fair died in the garden. And so since we <laughs> got kicked out, it, it just is what it is. I tell my kids that all the time. That's not fair. Fair died in the garden. We live in a fallen world. We are broken and this is not our home. And so, 
we're acting all you know funky here and so all these human behavior things i'm not saying they're they're beautiful they just are and so because only 20 percent of people are going to respond to that need you've got all all this talent and expertise sitting out there in the audience so as a church whether they're men or women or or work outside the home or in the workforce or not that is a challenge and that's why the same people drive the golf cart every Sunday and the same people are at the door and the same people are in the nursery and the same people are delivering the meals because it's that 20% that are responding to need. So just as, as a, you know, a big challenge in churches, how do I get these other 80%? Um, and a, a way is to begin understanding and acknowledging people for their, their, their gifts that they have out, outside of church and outside of the home. Well, I love what John Maxwell always says, Sandra. You have to connect before you can pull. There you go. That's what you're talking about. If I know that you have a very certain gifting and I come and I talk to you and I say, hey, can you help us with this? Very different than just asking for volunteers. Like in the military, you learn not to volunteer because you usually don't like the consequences. So that was my experience. That's right. That's a very good point. Connect before you can pull. There you go. Now, your third point is really about, and you talked about this before, about, you know, there's no buckets in which I fit. And I'd love for you to build on that. You know, if if I'm at the church and I find four to six women in this category and I'm sewing into them, I'm discipling, how do you then build that into an affinity group that re- would really serve them? The reason I'm asking, I was just talking with a pastor at a, at a church, and they had uh, tried to create some, you know, uh, groups for business people, for entrepreneurs, and it never really got any traction. So I'd love to hear your thoughts in this area. Yes, it's interesting. And, you know, when I when I speak on this topic, I, I am sort of dramatic about all the buckets that exist, right? But it's true. Um, you know, into a church, you've got the young married group and the singles group and the youth group and the married with children, empty nesters, divorced, retired, you know, um, widows, widowers, all these sorts of things. But um, I, in all those years and those, you know, those 12 years before I got married and fit into a bucket, um, I did not find a label that fully encompassed who I was. You know, I am a woman, you know, and I'm a business leader. You know, my daily challenges are very unique. Uh, you know, and so there was no unique group that addressed all of my life parts. You know, at Forward, we call it the three-legged stool, and that is faith, family, and career, and however you define those three legs. Um, and so because there was no bucket into which I fit, I didn't plug into a small group. I didn't go to Bible study. I didn't go to Sunday school, whatever you call it, you know, wherever, Um, and then even when I got married and, you know, was in a, a, a married and then a married with children. And, um, I still to this day, um, always struggle to meet all of the parts of my life in a, in a spiritual way. And so just this past year at my own church, we were able to start a Wednesday night, study group for women in the workforce. And, you know, it's all about authenticity. You know, women in business, we're juggling, right? It's total juggle. I call it spinning plates. And every day is this, you know, an episode of Survivor. I got to get till 10 p.m. with everybody being alive, some sort of fed, some sort of clean, right? And um, and then I get to wake up and do it all the next day. And so I'm running a business. I'm running a nonprofit. I'm, you know, I have three young kids. I'm a wife. Um, 
And so I say all that, that, you know, I get invited to a lot of stuff, right? And so a, a woman in the workforce has to be very, very choiceful. And so for her to take time to work something into her schedule, and I would suspect it's the same for these entrepreneurs, it has to be just completely authentic, completely spoken, speaking to my heart, spoken in a way that um, really taps into something I'm facing like today, not, you know, theoretically, maybe if. And so, um, you know, it's it's got to be, you know, this very unique message. You know, at Ford, we call it um, for workforce women by workforce women. I mean, everything we write and do and lead and offer is being done by women that are in this same challenge. And so, um, you know, it's I, I just say the busier you are, the better you can sniff out something that's really great and really appropriate and really authentic because you have to make choices. And so um, it's hard to get people in the workforce involved outside of, you know, Sunday morning. You know, I joke with my husband that I fit in a lot better with the Thursday morning men's group that he goes to at 630 uh, than I do with any of the women's stuff that's going on, right? But can you imagine if I busted in the, their room and was like, hey, pass the kolaches, what, let's get into the word, you know? <laughs> First of all, my husband would, you know, hide his face, probably be horrified. But I mean, that that's but that's how we feel, right, as as women in business. And so um, we've got to find a way to start a bucket into which these women fit, because even if they're going to the married group, she still might be um, missing something. Um, and so, you know, finding this unique group that addresses all of her life parts. So, you know, to start an authentic women in business movement, you know, I mentioned earlier, find a few of these key women <clears throat> and then the difference is empower them, give them the support, ask them what they need. Um, because a lot of, at a lot of churches, and I say this with love, I say this with love at a lot of churches, they want to do this and then they put it under women's ministry. Well, the women's ministry at a lot of churches is run by a volunteer who, you know, is a, a wonderful woman who's multitasking and doing it all and running a family and doing this job. Um, but it fits more in, um, you know, sort of adult ministry, if you will, or business ministry. And so, you know, giving them the appropriate support. I mean, I'm not here in any way to threaten um, any other bucket. We need them all. Uh, and so it's just finding these women, giving them the support, you know, discipling them. And there are a lot of churches I go to, guys. You, I mean, I don't know if you've seen this, but a lot of churches across the country, the pastor won't even meet, you know, one of these women for lunch by himself in a restaurant, you know, or meet with her one on one to disciple her in his office. Um, and so, you know, the, I understand temptation and I understand, you know, a fallen world. And I'm here to say, you know, at some level, we need to get over it. And we need to see this woman in business as an amazing human creature that has gifts to offer the church. Um, so sorry if I'm getting a little too passionate about that topic, but, but um, you know, we've got to give her a chance. Yeah, I really like what you said, Sandra, because people love to be part of other like-minded people that they know that they can relate to that are in the same situations. And just that theme, for workplace women, by workplace women. I think 
that theme brought out into any of these affinity groups, especially under the umbrella of marketplace ministry or business, uh, could really be a powerful way to just draw people into an environment that's going to equip them and meet their needs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because then, you know, what are they walk? You know, what are they walking that your entrepreneur group? You know, I, I, I don't know, but I would suspect it wasn't led by the entrepreneurs themselves because it is, if it is, they're going to know when should we meet and where and what should we talk about and what should our topics be and all that sort of stuff. You know, when you look at the group I happen to be speaking on today, which is the workforce women, you know, I can't do a breakfast. I'm scrambling to get carpool done and make lunches. You know, I'm not going to do an after work event usually because I can't wait to get home and make dinner and have family time. I'm not going to go on a weekend retreat. And so, you know, it's really like, okay, then what is it? For me personally, it's, you know, lunches. That's when I do a lot of my small group stuff and, um, and discipling and you're going to laugh, but there's a group of us that do 9 PM small group stuff after we put all the kids to bed. Um, and, and, and so it's, it's finding the, that niche of people and then letting them dictate how and where and what, um, and, and that authenticity is, is what really resonates with people, especially the busy, they busier they are. It's got to be hugely impactful in my life or I'm not going to, you know, miss family time for it, or I'm not going to, you know, um, take away from this other event. And so we just have to be, it, it has to be hard hitting. Well, and you're talking about really your fourth point there is aligning, you know, the schedules of, of some of these uh, uh, initiatives and activities with the the needs of the people that are being served by them. And it sounds like the best way to do that is just once you have a group together, talk to them and say, hey, when do you want to meet? It probably wasn't, you know, the first thought just to meet, let's meet at 9 p.m. But if all the group said, hey, I love that idea. Now, all of a sudden, everybody's bought in versus saying, I got to try to find and make room for this. Absolutely. And it was funny how that one in particular happened because um, we said 630 and then several of us were late. And then we said, well, let's try 730. And then we said, hey, can we do eight? Because then I can at least get everybody fed. And then we, you know, we we're sitting around, around one night and we we're like, oh, gosh, I hope, you know, the kids are in bed. And we joked about it. And then we said, hey, why don't we do nine o'clock? Because then we'll know they're in bed and then we can turn that part of our mind to the Lord instead of worrying and, you know, texting, Hey, did they take that medicine or did they did that, you know, do this. And so this fourth recommendation is, you know, we have to find these women programs, um, and make sure that they align with this workforce woman's schedule. You know, I jokingly talked about going to the 630 breakfast or, you know, not wanting to do the retreat. Now, I'm speaking for me personally, right? But but I've talked to thousands of women over these last two years who will say the same thing. Like, hey, I'm away from my kids 50, 60 hours. I'm away from my husband 50, 60 hours. I'm away from my, my home and my friends and my parents. So, you know, I might not want to do X, Y, Z. Um, but if you can speak to me very authentically on a weeknight after eight or 9 PM or at a lunch, or, you know, let's choose one breakfast morning a month, whatever that might be. Um, that's, that's going to mean something to me. Another thing, you know, people have suggested is making it family event, right? So, uh, you know, you can bring friends, you can bring your parents, you can bring your spouses or maybe even your kids. Um, and speaking to this extended group about, hey, we know this woman in your life is 
juggling and busy and, you know, we need to help her take care of herself too. Uh, and so we've, we've seen some of that start, but the bottom line is, you know, this is a strictly logistics point. Number four is it's got to be logistically easy for her, um, because of everything else she's got going on. Well, as we wrap up, there's this, you know, as what I'm listening to you, Sandra, there's just this huge, infinite potential, this group of women that are out there, they're camouflaged. What final thoughts would you like to leave with everybody listening to what you've just shared? Well, I'll go back to statistics, guys, and that is, you know, that all of the consumer spending t- statistics in America indicate that the woman in the household controls 80% of the household spending, which includes charitable giving. Um, the woman is uh, 80% of the time managing the, the family schedule. And so, you know, if the woman isn't getting up on, Saturday, uh, on Sunday morning and getting out the door herself and, and taking, you know, her friends and her spouse and her children with her, um, then that whole family is going to leave. And not only are you, are you losing that impact, but you're losing their charitable giving, you're losing their gifts that they could be giving to the church, and you're, you're losing lighting them up as disciples that are out in their own community getting more and more people to hear the Word of God. And so, you know, the bottom line is this camouflage Christian woman in the workforce is in every church today. You know, right now she's there. She's going to be there Sunday morning. And so she's so anxious to be included. She's, you know, she's desperate for encouragement because she's going off into this workforce Monday through Friday and, you know, giving it her all. And what we've seen is when she is spoken to and included and encouraged and, you know, feels that she's being spoken to authentically and, and the programming meets her, her schedule logistically, that she responds in a big, big way. She plugs in, she brings friends, she keeps her family there, she keeps her tithing strong. And we have seen churches completely change their, their makeup and their size uh, because when these women when these women are lit up, it just takes things to a whole new level. I mean, there's a particular church out west, and I know we don't have time to go into the details, but they did just that. They took the four points, they did it. They were very, very purposeful about it. And within six months, they had to trade buildings with another church down the way because their church community almost doubled in size. And that is an hmm. honest to goodness truth. And in so, six months. In six months. They had their first event and they thought, you know, they'd get 60, 70 people and, and 300 women showed up. And so, you know, these points are real. We've seen them work across America. We've seen um, pastors come to us and say, you know what? I had no idea. I didn't get trained on this stuff in seminary. I didn't get trained on consumer data and behavior stuff and, you know, how to speak to someone authentically. Um, and I don't walk in their shoes, so I don't even think about her schedule. And and so we've had a lot of them come and say, oh, my goodness, you know, thank you. I had no idea. Um, and so that's really what Forward is about. You know, we're here to be the, the voice for the workforce woman that's trying to juggle her faith and her family and her career and, um, you know, help her find other women, uh, you know, that are like that. And that's what the organization's about. The website's forwardwomen.org. Um, and we're here to be the expert on her and her needs and her behavior. And so thank you for letting me do that today. 
You're welcome. And that website, it's the number four, then wordwomen.org, correct? Yes, sir. That's awesome. And then if people listen to this, you can just go to the episode on our website, eternalleadership.com, and also see all the resources. You can just go to forwardwomen.org. And what any research, you know, if somebody's been listening to this and they're in the church environment and they in this message, they're just excited about it. What resources might you point them to to help them actually start? Like what what happened in the church out on the West Coast? Yeah. So, um, you know, first of all, is find this article, um, you know, that where we talk about these four points. Um, and then, you know, Barna has published some great things about millennials that um, if you, you know, think about half of the millennials are female, a lot of that stuff pertains to women in the workforce. You can sort of say, okay, millennials and women in the workforce. Um, but that is part of the challenge. There's not a lot of it out there. Um, and so we are trying to be on the the forefront of getting this message out and, and start working with some universities and seminaries to do some of the research. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sandra. That was one of my favorites yet. And I really appreciate who you are, what you're doing, and also just for your time today, because I know that this is really going to definitely move the needle out there in the kingdom work that's on people's hearts to do. Well, thank you guys for for appreciating it and hearing it and um, seeing it as critical to the life of the church. And, and we just thank you for helping getting the message out. If you'd like the link to She's There, Look Closer, find out more information about Forward Women or Sandra, just go to eternalleadership.com slash 072. We'll have all that information and more. That's eternalleadership.com slash 072. I just want to give a quick thank you. John and I appreciate all of you that have contacted us. You've told us what you like, guest ideas, especially female guest suggestions. John and I are both guys, obviously, and we don't want to leave women off of the show. And most importantly, you've shared your stories. We've loved getting to know you, praying with you, encouraging you, helping you however we can. So if you want to get in contact with us, just shoot us an email, john at eternalleadership.com and steve at eternalleadership.com. You can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash eternalleadership, Twitter at eternalleaders and at John Ramstead, and in our private LinkedIn group where you can interact with John, myself, and a number of former guests. Just type eternalleadership.com into the search box and you'll see the group right there. Next time on Eternal Leadership, pastor and business coach Chad Hall. One of the things I've come upon in the last couple of years is the notion that we really need to, to rehumanize the workplace. And that doesn't just go for sort of the, the corporate workplace. It also goes for the church as a workplace, uh, because it is a workplace. And we really just have to reimagine how we go about work, because I, I really believe God intended work to be a part of a thriving life, a life in which we flourish and experience well-being. It's, it's so important that we work. It's just meaningful. Um, but like anything else, wow, we can overdo it. We can do it in some misguided ways. And what God intended as a good um, becomes a harmful aspect of life. This is a great follow-up to the Andy Mason message that we featured on episode 67. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. Eternal Leadership.